All right, thanks for bringing your Bibles with you uh, this morning. Our text today is in keeping with the theme that we've chosen for this Advent season called These Are a Few of Our My Favorite Things. And this morning I want to talk about one of the things that's a favorite of God's, and that is God loves a party. God loves a party. Do you agree with that? Do you believe it? I hope you do. Did you know that there are polls now in the United States of America when Americans are asked the question, what is the most boring part of American culture, that, that oftentimes in these polls now, the thing on the top of the list, the most boring thing you can do as an American is go to church. Isn't it amazing that Americans somehow have gotten the idea that God is boring and he's somber and he's always serious and he's no fun. It's, what, it's the reason why Americans have had to create new gods for themselves to worship. Because we need to worship something. We need to worship someone. It's innate within us. And because God is boring and stuffy, we have to pick something else. And we could list the idols that Americans have created to worship uh, all day long. But how remarkable it is that we have taken the most exciting news that has ever impacted the human race and somehow caused it to become interpreted as boring. Well, let's reverse a little bit of that if we can and remind ourselves that God does love a party and I'll show you what I mean. Deuteronomy chapter 16, I'm going to read for us verses 9 through 17. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of Moses. Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and here we, we have him restating the Levitical law. This is the law that God gave to Moses as the nation was, was recovering from Egyptian bondage. And these rules and these laws were passed down. Deuteronomy, deutero means second or number two. So it's the second law or a restating of the law. Deuteronomy is basically five sermons that Moses preached to the nation of Israel prior to his uh, passing. And so they're important words, these are important messages, and this is the word of God to his people. So Deuteronomy chapter 16, I'll begin reading it at verse 9. May I invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. And Moses said to the people, Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you and rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. One, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. 
Now may God inspire us today through this important word. You may be seated. One of the first things God did for the Israelites as he was extricating them out of Egyptian bondage, you know, get, in, get out of that jail-free card, once, once God got the people out of bondage, out of slavery, one of the first things he did was institute a calendar. And this is part of the explanation of that. Uh, he filled these three special holidays with periods of remembrance and rejoicing and feasting and giving. And we find these important principles in our text today. The Passover was the first one. We all remember the Passover. The Passover is this commemoration, this remembrance of the, the last night that Israel was in Egyptian bondage, this final plague, the death of the firstborn, when death visited Egypt that night, the firstborn of every family died, and here the Israelites were saved from, the, from this death as the angel passed over their homes, having seen the blood of a spotless lamb spread on the doorposts of their homes. You remember the Passover story. And so this is the first celebration. It's early in the year. It's, it's as they're anticipating the, the growing season, the planting season. And so it's the first part of the year, Passover. And God asked them to set aside uh, in the spring as the, as the lambs were giving birth and these, these baby lambs, these ewes were coming forth in, each family member, each family owner of these flocks would, would count the sheep. And the tenth one represented the sacrificial lamb. And so the tithe was in place. And so the firstborn was God's and then every tenth lamb after that belonged to God. And during the Passover feast then this accounting was done. So these, these families would count their livestock, they would count their blessings as it were, and then they would gather up these sheep, throw them in the minivan, take the kids into, into town for this seven-day celebration where they would offer, make these offerings to God. Then seven weeks later, we have Pentecost. And this is when the early crop began to show in the fields and their chance to gather a first fruits offering and thank God for the coming fall harvest. And so this was a first fruits, and in New Testament terms, a Pentecost celebration and offering. And then the third celebration was in the fall. The landowners would bring in the fall harvest, taking inventory along the way. After shutting down their fields for winter, they would gather their gifts and set off for the year's final festival. And this was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now this memorialized the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness between Egypt and inheriting the land of Canaan. So the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, represent the memorialization of living in tents as nomads in the Sinai Desert for those 40 years and of God's faithfulness to, to sustain his people through the course of their lives. And so these three celebrations. And this last one, the Feast of Tabernacles, this would last because they would actually take their pup tents with them and set them up. And they would live in the tents. And, and even if they lived in a home, they'd set a tent up in the backyard and live in the tent to commemorate what their ancestors had gone through. And so this particular festival would last anywhere from seven days to 21 days. So it was a long party, which God was mandating. And if you, if you select the 21-day deal uh, through the end of the year, as they did, 
uh, that, would, that would cover all 35 college bowl games. You could watch all the bowl games before you had to go back to work. It was a really nice arrangement. So these three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, or the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Um, now, here's what I want you to, to realize about these feasts. The Lord commanded them. This was not optional. You know, if you're feeling up to it, feel like you're in a good mood, if you feel like you're interested in having, having a party, then, you know, gather up your folks and head on into town. That's not the way this, this is addressed. This is a command. In the same context in which the Ten Commandments are given. Moses preaches one sermon one day. These are the big ten. These are the ones that God wrote on the stone tablets on Sinai with his own finger. These are the big ten. That was sermon number one. But on the next day, he says, here's sermon number two. God commands us with those ten, and now here are some other commands. In your calendar, in the rhythm of your life, through the course of your year, there are three times I command you to party. And in the context of that party, I want you to remember, I want you to rejoice, I want you to feast, and I want you to bring your offerings. And that's how we're going to do this, three times a year. In this context, God says, thou shalt feast. Thou shalt party. And he called everybody to do it. And that's in the text. Everyone, everybody is to be involved. This is a joyful celebration. And by the way, a joyful celebration is completely consistent with the character of God. Completely consistent. Because God loves a party. He loves that. Let me just remind you that there, are, that there are two fundamental principles of God's relationship with us. Two fundamental principles. One is sacrifice, and the other is celebration. Sacrifice and celebration. Let me explain. In the sacrifice, God is calling people to come to terms with their relationship with him. There is this separation that has occurred in our relationship with God, caused by our sin. And the only way to eradicate sin is for some sacrifice to be made. And in the Old Testament covenant, there were the sacrifice of these animals and their blood shed. Without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so there is this sacrifice. And ultimately, we see this in Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Fundamental to our relationship with God is the, is the notion of sacrifice. And, yet, and then in the, in the feasts, in these invitations to party, God invites us to celebrate in the context of that relationship that has been restored with God through sacrifice, recognizing the liberty that can be enjoyed. And therefore, there is the celebration, this feasting, this rejoicing, this giving. And it's a wonderful experience. There is sacrifice and there is celebration. These things are fundamental in our understanding of our relationship with God. So these four things, we find them in our text today. The words are actually in the text. Remember, rejoice, feast, and give. Let's just rehearse those four things just briefly this morning. The first is remembrance. In verse 12 of our text, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember who you were. Remember what you were. Remember from where you have come. Remember what happened to you. And as you recall what God has done for you and the amazing grace that God has displayed in your life, you will get the perspective you need 
to understand the embracing of the celebration, this party. Remember. And so he gives instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It reminds Israel how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. Each part of the Passover meal, the Seder meal, is, is poignant in its symbolism. And some of you are familiar with the Seder. And this wonderful unfolding of the work of God contained in this meal. And so God calls us to remember. They even involved purging their homes as a reminder that they were to be rid of Egypt so that they could enter the ways of God. This is the festival of unleavened bread, the feast of Passover. The second thing to remember in the first fruits harvest, the, the feast of weeks, is this beautiful demonstration of remembering to thank God for every harvest. So they got together at the feast of weeks and they would say, here are the first fruits from our fields, Lord. They're just beginning to bear fruit. And the harvest, the full harvest will come. And so in the midst of this early fruit, we give you the first portion of it. And we celebrate your faithfulness to us. And then, of course, in the Feast of Tabernacles, this Feast of Booths, to remember the Lord's sustaining grace in the wilderness. Now, overlay those celebrations onto our Christian con uh, context, and, and we remember Christ's sacrifice. You know, the, the death passed over Israel on the last night in Egypt because of the shed blood of the lamb. And we now have been set free from death and hell and the grave because of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And we remember that. And we remember the faithfulness of God to supply our needs. Even as the blessing of God's come in the early days of the harvest, we remember God's faithfulness to take care of us. And we remember the sustaining grace of God even as they commemorated the wilderness journey, we remember God's grace through all the course of our lives. It's good for us in this time of year, this season, in this part of the rhythm, for us to pause and to reflect and to remember and to count our blessings. Are you hearing me? It's right to pause and think about what God has done for us and to recall and to ruminate, remember, what he has done on our behalf. Because when we think about the goodness of God, listen, there are people in this room right now, we could, we could probably get a story from everyone here about a season in your life when you didn't, you didn't think you were going to make it. Physically or emotionally, or with your health, or with a relationship, or some other moment in your life, you wonder, I, I don't think I can survive this. And yet God saw you through. And here you are. And you still have your soul and your sanity intact. And God was faithful to you. You placed your trust in him and he was good. And his grace was sufficient. And it's right for us to pause to remember those things. And this is the right season to do it. So we remember God's amazing grace and his love in our lives. Well, therefore, this Christmas season, this holiday season, is cause for that kind of celebration. As we remember God's favor and blessing on our lives. Uh, from time to time this time of year, I bring out my top 10 Christmas suggestions. I've, I've tweaked it a bit for this year, but I want to give them to you. Here's, a, here's number one. My top 10 suggestions for the, for the season. Number one, attend a Christmas Eve candlelight service. Everyone should do that. And good news, we have two of those available on Christmas Eve this year at 5 o'clock and 6.30, and I hope you'll come. Number two, invest some time caring for and serving others. Give some time to help helping someone else. Serve someone else. 
Lots of opportunities around here for that. We just announced the Blood and Fire Christmas celebration. You can, you can go sign up to serve that meal next week. Number three, drive around and look at the light displays. Do it. You don't have to have children in the, in the car. Just get in the car and drive around and look at them. You know that guy in the neighborhood who has the most lights, who wants his home to be visible from space? He needs encouragement. Drive by his house, you know, give him a few toots on the horn. You know, let him know, hey, I noticed that, buddy. That's, that's, a, that's good work. So encourage him. Number four, feast with gratitude and eat too much without guilt. There you go. Can I get an amen? Now, what I'm doing, just out of fairness right now, is I am on a very strict diet right now. But when, when the moment comes, I'll be ready. Too much without guilt. That's the phrase. Too much without guilt. Here's number five. Take a small gift to your neighbor, and if necessary, introduce yourself. Here's a little pop quiz. Do you know the names of your neighbors, immediate neighbors on either side of you? How about two doors down? about three doors down? Take a gift to your neighbor and introduce yourself. Number six, do not turn down fudge or cookies this year. Just say yes. Fudge and cookies. Are you with me? All right. Number seven, sing Christmas carols loudly. On key, that's optional. But when you have a chance to sing a Christmas carol, sing it wholeheartedly. Give it your best. Number eight, watch It's a Wonderful Life at least once. Beth and I have it recorded at home. We almost watched it the other night. We said, nah, let's wait just a little bit longer before we watch it. We'll plug it in and we'll watch it uh, sometime this month. It's just what we do. Number nine, greet people with Merry Christmas. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be obnoxious. <laughs> you don't have to jab somebody with it. Just be friendly and be joyful and use the phrase Merry Christmas. There is a reason why the world pauses this time of year to celebrate. It's because of that baby, that Christ. And so Merry Christmas is an appropriate response. And so, so Christian folks ought to offer it. All the correspondence that I have throughout the month of December, this has been my practice for years, no matter what I do, if it's a little note I write or an email I send or someone I'm, I'm talking to, it, I always give them a Merry Christmas at the beginning or the end of that correspondence. Say Merry Christmas. And then number 10, give yourself afresh to the Christ of Christmas. Get close to Jesus. Get close to him. You'll be better for it. Amen. So that's the remembrance. Now here's, here's rejoicing. Gather together with the people of God worship. Let your celebration include joyful praise. In other words, God isn't shocked or ashamed or embarrassed when people get happy around him. He's, he's not put off by that. The world thinks God is always stern and solemn, you know, as I mentioned earlier. And so we have to create gods to worship. You know, we, we have these idols. So we start with the American Idol, and we go all the way to NFL football, and the list. We could stand here all day and make the list of things that people in our culture worship instead of the one true God. And the reason, in part, is because the people of God don't model well enough what joyful celebration looks like. 
Hey, God must be happy. God must be joyful. God must be positive. God must be winsome. God must be for us. God must really care. That's the impression that our rejoicing should give to the world around us. Can I get an amen for that? Bunch of Methodists. Listen, the, the, living, the living God allows for pure joy filled with all kinds of release. Joy with all kinds of release. The rejoicing and without the bondage or the hangover. It's just better. Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, he said, and again I will say rejoice. How do you do that? Well, rejoice with your feasting and not feeling guilty about it. Rejoice with decorations and fragrances that prompt remembrance and the fun of what it's all about. Rejoices, rejoicing is not giddy. Rejoicing is godly. Adorn and beautify your house. Make the fragrances uh, memorable. This is, this is a time to celebrate. This is a time when God commands us to party, to have a feast. And it's the right thing to do. Beth and I were putting our Christmas decorations up this week. And that morning, you know, she kind of was a little slow coming around. And, you know, and we were just thinking about the work involved in putting up all that stuff. And, and uh, turned on some Christmas music and, and got the atmosphere in the house a little bit better and she started baking some stuff and and then in just a little bit she you know she looked at me and she said I'm starting to get in the spirit and I th said that's it baby <laughs> that's what we need we need to get in the spirit adjust our attitudes and be joyful one of the things I did for the second year in a row I just want to tell you about this when I was growing up my godmother aunt had an aluminum Christmas tree how many of you old enough to remember those aluminum Christmas trees and she had she had these these blue, clear glass blue balls hanging on it. Can you see that tree? It's aluminum. For many people, that it's just incomprehensible that a Christmas tree would be all aluminum with only one color of, of ornaments. But I love that tree. I don't know why. And a couple of years ago, I went shopping for one of these trees. And you know, they still make them but they're really expensive. And I just thought, well, I'm not going to pay that much for that tree. I'm just not going to do it. And, you know, don't trust eBay for that one. And I, and I just I would just forget it. And then last year, one of our staff, their, their uh, uh, older relative was cleaning out the attic, and they found one of those trees in the attic. The thing's like 60 years old, and it's a four-foot aluminum tree. They gave it to me. So I set, the, I set that thing up. All the limbs are still there and so forth. I got online and I tried to find one of those color wheels, you know, with a light that goes through it. You know, you can't buy those anymore. I don't know. What? I don't know why. They're so cool. Everyone should have one. And, and I searched and searched until I finally found some, some guy who sells Christmas products in California and he said, I think I've got a few of those, you know, somewhere back in the warehouse. And he went digging for one of these things, and he found one, and he sent it to me. It's a little piece of junk. But it's, it's like a little color wheel. And I had to fix it. You know, it was brand new. I had to fix it before it would work. And I put that thing up. I put the tree up, a 60-year-old aluminum tree, went out to Hobby Lobby and bought some blue balls, <laughs> hung those ornaments on the tree, and got my little color wheel. You can come to my house. It's awesome. You should see it. <laughs> But it just takes you right back. And it's, it's great fun. I'm the only one who likes my tree, I know. But 
That's what I do. So, so I'm happy. I'm happy about that. That leads us to feasting. Here's the plain English of what we read in our text today. Gather together and praise the Lord with rejoicing at the worship center. Then go to your homes with the orphans, the destitute, the foreigners, and all your relatives. And then the Lord said, feast. <laughs> feast. Remember, sitting down at the holiday dinner, dinner table is always spiritual. This is a God-honoring, God-blessed, God-pleased thing to do when you sit down to this feast. And I just want to commend those of you whom I know and others I'm sure I don't know anything about who have the lovely tradition in your homes of inviting people that you know might otherwise be left out around the holidays. And I've heard many of your stories of inviting neighbors and friends and, and the orphans and the widows and families that may not have enough or in international students on Ball State's campus who would be sitting in their apartment somewhere without any connection with this wonderful festivity and you invite them and that's a that's a beautiful expression and that's what God said look everybody has to be included everybody's in when you get together for this party you bring everyone and we're gonna have a big a big celebration and that's what God wants now talking about the dinner table there are some things you don't want to hear so so if you want to ruin you want to ruin your celebration your dinner celebration you could do some of these, but this is what you don't want to hear at the Christmas dinner. For example, number 10, I'm just using up cranberry sauce I had left over from last Christmas. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. Number 9, so I figured if I'm dieting, everybody's dieting. No, this is feasting time, not dieting time. Number 8, just brush the frost off the turkey before you carve it. Not going to work. Number 7, who wants bologna? See? Nobody wants to hear that around the Christmas deal. Number six, thought I'd save a little time and just leave the feathers on. No, Grandma, you've got no. Number five, I'm trying out a brand new stuffing recipe. Hope you like licorice. No, it's not going not gonna to help. Number four, before we eat, I thought we could just go around the table and take turns telling our favorite Christmas story. Don't do it. Then nobody wants to hear that. We want to eat. We don't want to take time to listen to people blather on about their memories. Number three. <laughs> wait, wait. We didn't get a picture. Everybody put your food back. There's always one, isn't there, in the family with that camera. Put the camera away. It's time to eat. Get it out later. Number two. Put on that cute record about grandma and the reindeer while we eat. See, that's the redneck Christmas, and I'm not sure that's what you want. And number one thing you don't want to hear at Christmas dinner, here's the fruitcake. No. Well, I can see those aren't particularly helpful, but you'll know what not to say. That leads us to this last thought, that God commands in the midst of this celebration, and that is the giving. He said in verse 17, don't show up to any of these festivals empty-handed but bring an offering with you that is in proportion to the way God has blessed you so the celebration means giving giving in the sense of offerings and in the sense of giving gifts the Bible makes it clear that sharing is a characteristic of the people of God it's the heart of God the character of God and it is the characteristic of his people as well and so sharing includes everyone your family 
your employees, strangers, orphans, widows. You help people, single moms. This is what you do. This is how we reflect God's celebration. The Lord whose heart embraces everyone wants us to include our celebrations with all the people who would otherwise be left out. So what we do, we give to the organizations that help the needy. Indeed, that's what we do. And we encourage one another then to be generous in the midst of it, that we should count our blessings. We should assess how God has blessed us over the past year. It's time to remember and reflect and to rejoice in God's favor and his provision and then to offer. Don't come, in, don't come empty-handed. Come with an offering. So get the spirit. Adorn your home with the images of the holiday. There are Christians that I know who get all uptight around Christmas. You know, they, they think Santa Claus is the devil. Uh, listen, St. Nick, St. Nicholas uh, from, the, from the United Kingdom originally called Father Christmas, isn't he the one that reminds us of a loving God who gave his ultimate gift? Santa can remind us of the spirit of love, the spirit of giving. Anyone that happy and joyful and generous has to be a Christian person. That's all I, I think. I, have no, I don't have any qualms with Santa. Chris Kringle, joyful, generous, godly, faithful. Seems like an okay guy to me. And then this, some Christians get all whipped up about the, the, an evergreen tree. And you hear people say, you, you know, an evergreen tree is a symbol of paganism. You have to stop that. Now, you have to stop that right now. I'm serious. You, have, you stop it. Now, look, an evergreen tree may be, for some pagans, a symbol of something else. What do we care what a pagan thinks about anything? What do we care about that? Care anything about what a pagan thinks about anything. Couldn't care less. I don't even know why I even mention it, because I don't care. But how about this? An evergreen tree can be symbolic. You know, an evergreen tree is a beautiful thing, part of the creation, created order of God. It's a beautiful thing. An evergreen tree, it's evergreen. You know, maybe that could remind us of everlasting life. And the fact that Jesus died on a tree, you know, there's something there very important to us. And maybe the gifts under the tree can remind us of the gift of eternal life. And maybe the ornaments on the tree can be symbolic of the gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this can be a wonderful symbol of God's favor and blessing and provision and giftedness in our lives. So stop it. Put up a tree. Put some lights on it. Put some ornaments on it. You know. Stop acting odd. Don't be a holy humbug. <laughs> Beth and I, I always encourage people at the beginning of the, of the season. Beth and I, for many, many years now, have practiced what we call Christmas light. Christmas light. From the time our boys were very young, we instituted this, this policy. And that is everybody gets one gift at Christmas. Just one gift. Now, it was a, a special gift, something that the boys, you know, put at the top of their list, that sort of thing. So we tried to give them something special, but it's just one gift. So people weren't buried, you know, with gifts. One gift. And that was our practice and, and remains our practice to this day. And so what we're able to do then is reduce the amount of spending we do on each other because in our family, there isn't anything we need that we don't have. In fact, in our family, I'll just say, 
we have everything we need times about 20, 25, 30 times. We have more than we need, much more than we need. That's why our garages are full of stuff and our storage units are full of stuff and the barn's full of stuff and the pole barn's full of stuff. We got stuff just pop, coming out our ears. Most of us have much more than we need, so it's not like we need anything. But it is good to give. And so we limit it to one gift. And so in the spirit of that, that celebration, we give a gift. And that's true to this day. And then we take the money that we might have spent on each other doing extravagant things that uh, don't amount to anything more than piling up stuff, is we take that money and we give it away. And we designate it for our special offering. And we make a difference in the lives of people who really do have needs. And that seems to be in the better spirit of it. So get in the spirit and practice, practice in a way that makes sense to you. Welcome Christmas into your home, into your life, in, in, into your family, and into your heart. It'll make a difference. Year in giving then can be a beautiful expression of the rhythm that God places in our lives to make a difference in other people's hearts and lives and to bring honor to God and a sense of peace and well-being to yourself. So here it is. Remember what God has done for you. Remember, rejoice by giving God the worship he deserves. Feast with family and friends without guilt and give as an expression of your gratitude to God and your compassion for others. Amen? All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray for just a moment. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you. And we recognize all these things are from you. So we confess that this morning, sometimes life gets busy. We lose track of our primary loyalties. We lose track of perspective on the holiday seasons and their values. Help us this season to remember your goodness, to rejoice in our worship, to feast in celebration, and give as an expression of our gratitude and care for others. God, we know you love a party. We know it. So help us to engage the Christmas celebration with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, and the people said, amen.
Stir it. 
tender. 